Welcome everyone to our trans awareness episode of Queer Cuz. I am Dee. And hi, I'm Sarah. As Dee mentioned, this episode is for Trans Awareness Week. So really excited to bring in a guest for this. So Trans Awareness Week, of course, is about raising awareness of the issues that the trans community face. And we also want to talk about the activism in the context of that. So we have brought in uh, Amber, who is based in the Philippines, to talk about it. So Amber, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, please? So hi, everyone. Um, I'm Amber Gonzalez-Steven. I'm 26 years old. And I'm based in the Philippines. I'm from Quezon City, but I'm originally from the province of Abra. So if you know someone who's listening who's from Abra, then hi, I'm an Ilocana. I'm bagna bigat aldawyo amin. So um, I'm currently working with the Philippine Anti-Discrimination Alliance of Youth Leaders, or PANTAI, which is a national alliance of LGBTQIA+, and ally organizations, which fight for non-discrimination and equality, and also some other concerns that are being faced by the community, such as reproductive and sexual health and rights, uh, more specifically on HIV and AIDS uh, epidemic in the country, and um, talking about rights as well. So, um, passing for policies and uh, and changes in in various institutions all over the country. Thank you. And you mentioned that you're an Ilocana. Uh, so, our family are Ilocano, but from the north. Uh, so we, uh, so I remember. I think my mum went to university in Baguio, but I'm originally from Bontoc. Is that uh, a little bit about our family? That's interesting. Um, it's it's very interesting that um, there are many Ilocanos uh, all over the world. Like especially in the US and the UK, there are so many Ilocano Im- uh, families there. So it's it's very interesting to know that you're an Ilocana too. By the way, I'm Libra Sun, Virgo Moon, and Aquarius Rising. <laughs> do you know your star sign stuff, Dee? Because I don't think I do. I know I'm Taurus, and that's about it. I I know that I'm Capricorn and very much a Capricorn, but I don't know um, my my risings or the other two. But I know for my main one, I've I've been very much clocked as a Capricorn a lot. That's cool. <laughs> I'm very much pretty indecisive too as a Libra. Yeah, so it happens, but it's great. It's great. Uh, Could you share a little bit about um, your beginning activism? I started my journey with activism when I was in first year college. Um, I got into UP Diliman. So as I've mentioned earlier, I'm from the province. I'm from the province of Abra. And basically, when I was younger, <clears throat> I would always be concerned about the pre uh, the peace conditions in my province because it was a very um, notorious province when it comes to election related violence and political related violence altogether. So, when I was younger, I was really concerned about peace and security in the province. I wouldn't say that it was much of an activism because now that I'm older, I I have a different idea of what activism is. But yeah, I would say that I was vocal about it and and I was engaging in various organizations like the Philippine National Police in my province back then, which my father is a part of. And um, also engaging dialogues with some local government officials, right? Now, when I entered college, I, I got to UP and I met UP Babaylan. Actually, I already heard of UP Babaylan way before I got into UP. Um, because context, I got into UP 2012. And that was the year of the term of Heart Nino. Heart Nino is the first openly out transgender woman chairperson of a university student council in the Philippines. So that's a very big um, victory for the community back then. So when I got in, she was the chairperson. So I I was really taken by her and and she was so charismatic and just so powerful. So I really looked up to her. And as I was hearing her story about what it feels and what it means to her to be a trans woman, Somehow I was able to relate to it. 
Because for the longest time, I was really confused about who I am as a person. I got attracted to men and women. But at the same time, I don't see myself as a man. And yet, people around me would tell me that you can't like women. You're gay. How can you like women? So it, it, it pushed me and, and pressured me to still box myself into these labels of girl boy, baklaton boy. Because in the province, those are the only concepts that are available for us. So we don't have a concept of bisexual. We don't have a concept of transgender. So these are all very new concepts to me. Okay, Now, when I joined UP Babayalan, that's when I started to realize what ac- activism really means. So it doesn't just mean that you will engage people, you will educate people, but rather it also extends beyond those areas of education. It also means that you have to go down to communities, you have to be one with the community and listen to the demands of the community, to the experiences of the community. And from there, you should come up with solutions. You should come up with proposals or you can work with the community to provide solutions and proposals that you will push for, for legislation, for policy changes, amongst others. So that's how I got uh, initiated with the wider concept of activism that I know now of. And I feel like um, more than that, it also opened me to the idea of other forms of activism, not just you know, filing for a bill, filing for legislation, but also going out to the streets, you know, um, protesting and, and really disturbing the status quo because we've all been so comfortable with the status quo. We need to disturb it in order for our voices to be heard. So if you can cause traffic so that people can pay attention to what you're saying, then you have to do it. Those are the things that I learned in, in, in UP Babaylan. And I'm very, very thankful for, for them for introducing me to the world of activism and how dynamic and diverse the things that we can do that you're not limited to what you can do just because of who you are um meaning to say if you can contribute on the online noise that's good if you could contribute on the on-ground noise that's even better if you could push for legislation that's also way uh that's also well appreciated so there are many areas for engagement when it comes to activism. And I'm just very happy to see and and be part of this movement in the Philippines. Um, Because for the longest time, the LGBTQIA plus community has been shamed and um, overgeneralized to the point wherein our opinions have become meaningless. But now we are reclaiming our positions in society. It's through activism that we're being able to reshape the narrative and, and reclaim the voices that we have. So that's how I got into activism. That's an amazing story. Thank you for sharing it. Absolutely. That's so amazing. I, just something I was thinking about as you were talking that you were saying about how what you were learning about what activism looks like and something I've kind of thought about as somebody who's been quite interested in uh, advocacy for people who are asexual. Uh, could you tell me how would you define activism? Well, for me, activism is action for change. It's any form of action, really, that is geared towards positive social change. We have to qualify what change means because, you know, change for the worse is still change, right? So it has to be geared towards positive social change. And when we say positive sh- social change, it should uphold the basic principles and values of social justice and social equality. And, and these are the things that make me think, uh, that, that um, come into my mind when I think of activism that it has to be acted upon. It, it's, it, it doesn't just stop in, in you tweeting something or posting something on Facebook or on Instagram. Like, sure, that's great. And again, I am not um, diminishing the worth of that action, but it has to do more than that. It has to go further than that. And if you're not available to do it, maybe some 
uh, other people can and and that's the beauty of activism it's not just a one man it's not just a one man thing you know um it's a collective action so um to summarize my definition of activism is collective action for a positive social change because it has to be the community working together it has to be society working together civil society organizations volunteer organizations working together to realize those values of social justice and social equality that we are all yearning for great thank you and could you tell us uh, a bit more about what pante does but also how do you as a community work together how do you work with other organizations whether they're other lgbtqia plus organizations or other ones outside of that well working out means that you have to work with fellow lgbtqia plus and allies organization and you have to work out with those not necessarily related to the cause you're fighting because again it's a collective action you cannot win the fight alone by yourself so engaging with lgbtqia plus organizations is much easier because we already have common grounds when it comes to principles and ideals and the things that we fight for um, we already have similarities in terms of strategies in terms of how our memberships in general so whenever we meet with them it's just a noise <laughs> it's just a beautiful noise to your ears that there are so many ideas coming out every now and then and we just talk about the vision that we have it's much more difficult when we deal with organizations that are not necessarily um, within the community say for example dealing with workers or dealing with fisher folks and farmers how will we relate to them the message of equality that we are fighting for how do we relate to them for example we have um engaged with teachers as well we have engaged with professionals you know and 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 other sectors how do we relate to them the message of equality and it all boils down to the messaging of human rights that what we are fighting for is human rights and what they are fighting for are also human rights the right to live as a queer person and the right to proper government response to uh, proper government assistance state assistance is a right for our farmers the right to their land is their right it's all about human rights and that whenever we engage with organizations that are not part of the community we always pan back to the idea that when we have equality things would only get better for all of us no one will get left behind if there is equality and i think that's a core messaging that a lot of people and sectors really resound with because quite honestly inequality is not just for the lgbtqia plus community inequality is everywhere and quite frankly anyone can relate to the messaging of equality and the importance of upholding our human rights and ensuring that we are living dignified lives and that's what makes the messaging more resonant but another uh, trick i guess that we use uh, this is <laughs> this is another trick that we use we try to identify members of the community who are also part of their community so we, we try to look for people who, who share um similar struggles for both ends of the party and and we make them do the the dialogue you know you make them do the initial engagement so that they would just feel more comfortable because you really don't want coming off to them as very intimidating um you want to come off to them as someone who's really wanting to hear what they have to say because honestly that's one of the problems that i've seen and and i think i have to mention it that whenever we deal with fisher folks and farmers and and sectors from the urban poor communities there's always this sense that they feel intimidated by us because we're educated we we have attained some level of educational uh, attainment and and somehow 
we don't want to feel them that way because our educational attainments are just there because we were privileged enough to get them, to avail of them. But we want to make them realize that just because we were able to finish our education doesn't mean that we see them as someone lower than, the, than us. That's why we always try to send someone who is familiar with the dynamics, with the environment, so that somehow they still feel comfortable around us and, and knowing that we are not there to judge them, but rather we are genuinely there to listen to them, to talk about their stories and their struggles. And that's an important thing that you have to develop when you're de dealing with other organizations beyond the initial network of your organization. Because again, we have to expand the fight. We have to include as many people as possible in the fight. So yeah, those are the things that we do. So um, you talked about getting support um, from other uh, members of organizations and community. Have you found support within um, within either the government or like high positions within like, like you mentioned um, at your college? Yeah, actually the great thing about being in UP at least, and again, it's a privilege for me to talk about this because not all universities in the Philippines and colleges have the same experience. You know, UP is more open about these kinds of conversation. And in my entire stay in the university, we have explored so many engagements with the administration. We have engaged them on having pronouns recognized. We have engaged them on, you know, recognizing transgender women and men as, as identities and, and allowing them to be identified. Um, we are now engaging them to have our, uh, what do you call this, to have our lived names recognized as well. Because, you know, um, we have been reading a lot of developments in the United States and the uh, European Union wherein universities are now recognizing the lived name of the students and honoring them in, in, in school documents sans that um, they are not the official school documents that will be used for transactions, but rather while they are in the university, they are allowed to use their live name. So I think that's a very great progress. And I think that's something that we want to integrate as well. So yeah, the university has been very, very open about these kinds of conversations. And um, again, UP students are very lucky because we have a university administration that is more open than others because in other institutions in the Philippines, it's much stricter when it comes to policies like this. Even haircut is an issue. Even uniforms is an issue. So you can imagine the disparity of experiences between, again, my university and other universities that put so much burden on their um, LGBTQIA plus students to conform, right? But more than that, I guess I'm also very happy to share that there are some government units and, and local government units in the Philippines that are very open about, um, I don't know, that are very open about um, progressive policies as well. For example, from where I'm from, from uh, in Quezon City, two years ago in 2019, we have engaged with them to talk about um, creating an HIV agenda for the city. Um, because context, we passed a Philippine HIV and AIDS law in 2018. Okay, So we were uh, able to pass a new and stronger law to, to address the, the difficulties that are being faced by the PLHIVs in the country. So now we wanted to localize the legislation because that's what we should be doing with legislation, to be fair. I mean, it should be an automatic thing, but it's great to have the Kesson City allow us to spearhead this initiative. So we partnered with our partner organization, PLF Share. Um, they are one of the organizations uh, within our network and engaged us with um, the Kesson City Local Government Unit and the Kesson City Health Unit in order to come up with a citywide HIV agenda. So we were able to tap representatives from various communities around the city 
and engage them in a dialogue on what's the current condition when it comes to um, getting tested for HIV and AIDS and um, linked to care and treatment amongst others. And how they envision to get this issues changed or, or fixed or resolved, right? And we were able to present them to the government officials of Quezon City from the mayor up to the SK chairpersons. SK is uh, Sangguniang Kabataan. It's, it's um, the league of young people, basically. Um, if you're not familiar with it, it's the league of young people, which is um, the smaller unit of governance than the barangay, which is headed by the barangay captain. So yeah, we were able to, to engage from the highest um, position in the city up to the lowest positions in the city. And it maximizes the reach of our engagement and, and advocacy and activism to the people. So yeah, there are some areas in the country that are more receptive. Um, you also have the office of the vice president um, you also have some senators who are very open about conversations on um, social equality and granting of equal rights to LGBTQIA plus people. So we just have to really identify them. I guess that's the challenge. And, and I think it's, it's, it's a usual challenge for any advocate and activist to, to identify your allies. Because quite frankly... We're having a crisis in the Philippines right now. Democracy is a dying ideal in the Philippines, given the current context of the leadership. Um, and it's very, very frustrating because the things that we are working for have been set aside because there is a bigger fight to, to, to engage in, which is to ensure that we will remain a democratic country, that we will remain within the ideals of democracy and respect for human rights and human life. And it's, it's very frustrating that somehow the fight for equal rights in the country need to take a set, uh, 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 it has to take the uh, backseat because there are some things that we really have to prioritize. I mean, what good are equal rights if you are being terrorized by your own government? What good are equal rights when your government is basically a dictatorship, right? So it's it's just frustrating that we're already in 2021 and yet we're still talking about protecting the democratic values of our country when in fact we should be talking about other things. Like how do we keep the progress of the Philippines going and and how do we ensure that every Filipino, regardless of SOGS, get to enjoy their uh, sets of human rights? So those are just some of, of the issues that we are currently facing. And, and yeah, um, that highlights the differences in terms of engaging various actors and, and duty bearers in the country. So I have highlighted about differences in terms of schools. So some schools are more open than others. And even in the government, that that's also true. Yeah, I was just like, because from the American perspective, you know, our, our media and our news, you know, never talks about most of the things you talked about. Like we only vaguely hear about Duarte and that's it. That's like, that's, that's all that comes across. Um, so maybe um, for our viewers outside the Philippines, maybe if you could explain kind of what's going on out there, just outside of just the main things that just pop out into international media. Well, basically we have a president like Trump. <laughs> we have a yeah. Trump-like president who's a, who's a populist president. Uh, mind you, he didn't win the majority of votes. He just got lucky that he got the most number of votes. Um, so it's not true that he's the most well-loved president. It's not true, my God. Um, the number of people who did not vote for him is larger, way larger than the number of people who voted for him. And I think that's also one of the pitfalls of the Philippine democracy. But that's for another topic altogether. But yeah, um, we have a president who is very populist and is a, a strong man. Um, he really puts the law into his hand. Imagine he can talk about um, and trigger warning for our listeners. He can talk about raping women and no one has the gall 
to file any complaint against him despite the Philippines having a Safe Spaces Policy Act, which includes media, which includes consumed media. Okay, so when you hear it on the television, that is an assault to your safe space, right? And yet no one, not a single one in the government dares to file a case against him. Why? Because it will lose. Why? Because he has the control of the executive, the legislative, and the judiciary. He even got one of the Supreme Court, um, he even got the um, chief justice of the Supreme Court booted out for senseless cases just because they wanted to please him. He even got one of the senators of the Philippines in jail without any case, nada, just because she was very vocal about the policy of the government when it comes to drugs, okay? So that is the current hell that the Philippines is currently experiencing. And you still have that uh, war on drugs. That isn't really war on drugs. It's war on poor people who are easily tagged as drug pushers, as drug drug addicts because quite frankly how many big scale drug lords have we caught in the philippines since the start of the drug war none we haven't caught any single big time drug lord in the philippines in fact the big uh big scale drug lords in the philippines are allies and friends of the president so how would you even believe the the, the the implementation of the war on drugs but more than that he's also been assaulting the the lgbtqia plus community for the longest time he called it a face okay there was an interview wherein he called it a face he also called it um something that can be cured something that can be corrected and that we know that how dangerous um, manifestations like this are, especially how on how the community is being perceived as someone who has a sickness, right? And, and these um, pronouncements only reinforce this kinds of mentality. And I think the biggest offense that he did against the LGBTQIA plus community is to set free uh, Pemberton, who killed Jennifer Laude, our trans sister. Um, Jennifer Laude's case was a very high-profile case. And all of a sudden, the lawyer of the family of Jennifer Laude turned his back on the family just because he is the current spokesperson of the president. So just because he's now the spokesperson, he threw all of his principles out of the window. He's now saying that, you know, we should just move forward. When in fact, years ago, when he was defending the case of Jennifer, he was very strict and adamant and saying that we shouldn't let Pemberton out. But now he's just, okay, he's out. Okay, it's time to move on. And it's a big slap to the community. It's a big insult to the community, knowing that we have a person who has been very, vocal about criticizing um, the presence of American forces in the Philippines, criticizing how these agreements are favoring the United States and not just the Philippines and how it affects the case of Jennifer Laude altogether, very vocal about transphobia and hate crime. And now he lost his tail. He's like a dog who lost his tail. He can't even stand up for his own self. So it's very, very disappointing how this president can turn a good man crooked. And, 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 and somehow it frustrates me that because he is a populist leader, many Filipinos actually echo his sentiments. And that's very dangerous for the community. I don't know if you've heard about it, but in the past months, we have seen tense of trans people getting killed, trans men and trans women. And there is no end in sight. And that's what frustrates all of us. And it's very, very scary 
for trans people in the Philippines. It's scary being LGBT in the Philippines, having a president that normalizes violence against the community. So Amber, you mentioned that um, the Twete has been uh, pushing misconceptions. So one of the things you mentioned, for example, is conversion therapy. Um, could you just tell me just generally with Filipinos, uh, what are the misconceptions they have of transgender people and trans rights in general? Well, basically, for many Filipinos, trans women and men are just gay and lesbian people. Just worse. Um, they have this notion that we are demanding so much from them. We are demanding so much understanding because we're already gay. You're already lesbian. Why do you want to identify as a man, as a woman? And that's what they don't get. We are not gay. We're not, well, unless you are a trans woman attracted to another woman or a trans man attracted to another man, then sure, you can be gay or lesbian, but we're not gay or lesbian per se we are trans people and and i think a big chunk of the problem is because sexuality and gender is not a very popular topic in the philippines the philippines is a predominantly catholic country although although it's the most permissive of many asian countries <laughs> i mean if you look at countries like brunei darussalam or indonesia it's a lot worse but at least in the Philippines, it's religion and culture that's been keeping the conversations on gender and sexuality at bay. Um, there is this idea that men have to provide for the family. I mean, it's, it's, it's a global idea, I think. But um, in the Philippines, it's very, very strong because we have a very strong sense of family. Uh, the family is, is basically the core of society for for the Filipinos, like, and I'm not kidding. I I know that it's being discussed in many in many classes all over the world that the family is the basic unit of society. But you haven't been in a Filipino family. They make it the center of the universe, and and all of the matters has to be green lighted by the family. It has to be approved by the family. So there are some families wherein you can't even talk about sex. And how will the young people learn about sex? How will they learn about consent? How will they learn about gender and sexuality if you don't talk about them? And again, that is heavily influenced by the culture. But yeah, going back to the religion argument, um, the Catholic Church in the Philippines also has a very strong voice when it comes to um, LGBTQIA issues. Um, for example, some of our biggest opponents in, in the Senate and in the House of Representatives when it comes to passing the law is churches. I mean, our churches. And this ranged from Roman Catholic churches to Protestant churches um, and other sects of churches in, in the Philippines. So there are so many um, churches oppose equality in the Philippines, but mostly they, they are Catholic um, churches, uh, Christian rather, Christian churches. So yeah, um, another misconception that we get to hear a lot is you're just confused. You don't know, you're just too exposed to media you're just too exposed to the things around you, basically, that suddenly you don't have the agency to think for yourself and decide that, oh, this is who I am as a person. And I think, again, it's, it, it's greatly stemming from culture um, because for the longest time, um, Filipinos have been very big on consuming media. And in fact, in the, in the entire world, we are ranking, I think, in the top 10 of most countries who spend the most time on social media and one of the higher ranking countries when it comes to spending um, time in front of uh, broadcast media. So the Philippines is very big on, on media consumption, be it any form. And I think um, Many products of the Philippine media have been 
painting trans women and trans men as somewhat confused. In fact, not just trans men and trans women, but LGBTQIA plus people in general. There are still a lot of documentaries highlighting ex-gay people or ex-lesbian people who have now been um, corrected in the right path, if, if that makes sense. And it's dangerous, you know? If, if the media was, was more careful in, in framing these narratives, it could ha have helped the community. But it's very dangerous how, how um, media is, being per uh, is portraying um, LGBTQIA plus identities, that it's so um, easy to manipulate, it's so easy to change and influence, when in reality it's not. I mean, how could you tell me that I've been influenced by media when I had this feeling when I was still five years old? I wasn't even watching news at that age. How, how was I able to, to be influenced by that? So, yeah, there is this very big misconception that LGBTQIA plus in general are, con are confused, but mostly L uh, trans people are confused. Um, another one, and, and I think this is the most insulting one, um, we are fighting for access to bathrooms, um, for trans women to access female bathrooms and trans men to access male bathrooms. And I think the biggest misconception that we are getting from this is we are using this as an excuse to harass women, trans women, to harass women specifically, because which is weird because you don't get much debate when it comes to trans men accessing male restrooms. I haven't much, I haven't heard much disagreement on that. What's baffling is you can allow trans men to use male restrooms, but you cannot allow trans women to use female restrooms. And your argument is that because men will find it as an opportunity to harass women, which begs the question, who is the problem? Is it the trans women or the men, right? Because I think this conversation in general on, on bathrooms and accessing facilities in general, not just bathrooms, but all gendered facilities in general is not geared towards the trans community. It's geared towards men who have the tendency to be, pardon my French, assholes. It's geared towards men who have this respect and disregard for women, not a trans women who just simply want to use the bathroom because we don't want to get a urinary tract infection. My God, allow us to use the bathroom. It's a comfort room for crying out loud. Give us comfort and not stress. So yeah, that's another issue that's very prevalent in the Philippines. And I guess to, to wrap it up, one of the biggest issues when it comes to LGBTQI rights and trans rights in general is that the rights that we're asking for are special rights, when in reality, they're not special rights. I mean, are your marriage rights special? Are your rights to use the bathroom special? Are your rights to go to any school you want to go to special? I don't think so. These are all equal rights. If you can enjoy them, why can't I enjoy them? If you can have the opportunity and the right to get married, why can't I get married? If you have the opportunity to enroll in any institution that you want to enroll into, why can't I have that? Right? So it's not special rights. Basically, these are all equal rights. But, you know, I guess the biggest lesson that resounded to me in, in my years in the advocacy and in activism is that it's really true that when you're accustomed to your privileges, because right now, these are mere, mere privileges for people who could access them. If you're so accustomed to your privileges, a distortion or a disturbance in your privileges would make you go defensive. And I think that's what happens to a lot of people. 
that they feel that we are taking away things from them. When in reality, we just want our slice in the cake. We don't need your cherry on top. We have our own cherry on top. We just want our slice in the cake in the first place. Because right now, we don't have the slice in the cake. So how can we even have the cherry on top, right? And for a lot of people, they're so offended thinking that we're already taking away the cherry from them. It's, it's just so unfair. And, and it, again, it's frustrating, you know. But again, as activists and advocates, the goal really is to talk about these misconceptions and myths against the community and try to debunk them in the most diplomatic way possible because we need more allies, not more enemies. We need to bridge, uh, start building more bridges, not walls. And I think as an advocate myself and activist, that is something that I've learned the hard way. And um, I guess you can't blame younger advocates who are very, very passionate and very idealistic. You know? and, and somehow, I can't also blame myself back then that I wanted a utopia when in reality, this is real life. And, and there are disagreements. It's, it's normal. It's natural. And you can't convince them to side with you if you're just going to alienate them. So that's really something that I learned along the way. So Amber, you've talked about the challenges you're experiencing, the sort of, as you mentioned, like the bathrooms, uh, conversations, but kind of and where the misconceptions are as well. Um, so the kind of stuff that uh, is a challenge for the trans community in the Philippines. But could you tell me about any successes that you've had with uh, trans activism? What, so you talked about activism being about making change, making positive change. What positive changes have you seen in the time you've been an activist? Well, I think it's very important to, to highlight that trans victories when it comes to trans activism should not just be limited to our agenda, but at the same time to the fights that we take on. Having said that, we passed the Safe Spaces Law or the Bawal Bastos Law in the Philippines. Um, it's a law that protects all people, specifically women in LGBTQIA+, an emphasis on trans people from harassment on the streets, on public spaces, and even on social media. I think that's a very important step moving forward because now we can penalize people who give out transphobic remarks. It's in the law. It's stated in the law. It's not an interpretation of the law. It's stated in the law. And I think that's a very powerful moment that we are recognizing that there is transphobic remarks, violence against trans people in the Philippines, and that the law recognizes it and sees it as a deterrent for people participating in, 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 in things in the Philippines. And I think being part of the people and, 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 and advocates who, who lobbied for it and campaigned for it, uh, we were there. The trans community was there supporting the passage of the Safe Spaces Law. Really just makes it that even if it's not just catered towards the trans community, the trans community is a part of that narrative and part of that victory, right? Seems true with the Philippine HIV and AIDS law that we also lobbied for. There is also a recognition of transgender women there. Uh, being, as we know, globally, trans women is one of the key affected population of the HIV epidemic globally, um, including men having sex with men, sex workers, and the youth. Okay, so there is an enumeration of all the sectors and trans women is enumerated, which means to say that the Philippine laws actually recognize and acknowledge transgender women as part of, of the legal uh, framework of the Philippines. So that is another victory for the trans community. Again, while it's not 
purely catered to the trans community, the trans community was actually very active and vocal in advocating and fighting for it on the streets and in the parliament. Um, we also have passed several anti-discrimination ordinances. So ordinances are the version of the law, but in the local level. So um, they're limited by jurisdiction. So let's say, for example, if the ordinance is based in Quezon City, it's only applicable in Quezon City. So that's just a pitfall there. But we are um, moving forward in terms of adding more LGUs or local government units with anti-discrimination ordinances. While there's still no national legislation, I think this is the quickest way that we could um, address anti uh, discrimination in the country. Um, yeah, but more than that, I think we're also taking up political and social spaces in the Philippines. And I think that's a victory that isn't necessarily being talked about most of the time, but it's very, very important to highlight that. We have social media influencers and content creators who are trans women. We have artists. We have a Best Actress winner who is a trans woman. And these are all important milestones in, in the movement because while you would say, but she won an award, how is that activism? It is activism because by simply being there and showing to the world that a trans woman can win Best Actress, is categorized as a woman, is a statement enough that we are valid, we exist, and we should be heard. And again, going back to my definition of, of activism, it's a collective action for positive social change that results to positive social change. That by having more people being aware of trans people and that trans woman who won Best Actress having the platform to talk about the experiences of trans women all over the Philippines, it already offers so much enlightenment for the community in, on behalf of the community. So yeah, um, I cannot enumerate all of the successes and the victories of the trans community, big or small. But for me, regardless of where they were held, what kind of achievements they are, they are all contributing one way or another to the greater success and greater fight of the trans community in the Philippines. I really love that answer because I, I think you made a really good point about trans people being in different spaces and so not just trans activism itself, but activism in other spaces. And then the other thing about in terms of media visibility, um, whenever I see stories of LGBTQIA plus people in general, it can often be tragedy sort of stories, whereas it's about having diversity of stories, isn't it? And that representation. And it's a really good point about uh, so having an actress award that itself being activism. I right. Yeah. 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 And as you said, since the Philippines is a, a major you know, consumer of media, being able to replace those stories that, you know, the production companies and you know, the government are forcing people to see now seeing, you know, actresses and, and, and influencers that you have control over showing is better for, you know, people being able to see. And I think it highlights how trans people are pushing back for the narrative and reclaiming it. Um, yeah, it's true, Sarah, what you've mentioned that for the longest time I've been seeing trans media, it's all about tragedy. It's all about failure. It's all about sadness. It's either the trans uh, character dies it's either they will live alone by themselves, having no one around them. Either they will be killed um, or they would be heartbroken because no one is there to accept them. And I think the trans community is tired of these narratives. The trans community is already tired of being hopeless and helpless. We need a new brand of media, of trans media, not just in the Philippines, but all over the world, which can demonstrate that trans women can also be successful and happy, that we can also be loved, that we can also be seen, not just a display. 
and I think I have to laud um, several queer directors, uh, trans directors in the Philippines, who despite not having the budget, because you know, eh, media is still a business, that despite not having the budget are still fighting for these stories to be told, despite not having that initial market, um, what you call this, demand, that they are still taking that risk. It's a very high risk, low reward gamble on the side of these directors, but they are taking that risk. They are willing to take the risk because they believe the trans narratives like this deserve to be heard and to be seen. And I think that's very powerful in terms of activism, that we are not just activists, we are human beings. That we tend to forget that activists in themselves are human beings. They are not devoid of their own struggles. They are not devoid of their own stories and, 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 and difficulties. And they are not also devoid of their own happiness. Because when we see how activists are portrayed in media, it's always mad, it's always angry, it's always shouting on the streets, and it's as if they don't have a humanity in them. But we need to highlight that activists are mad because they love. Activists are angry because they care so much. And that highlights the humanity of being an activist, and that's also reflective in the humanity of being a trans woman, that we cry because we demand acceptance. We put ourselves out there because we demand validation. But at the same time, we are also capable of being loved in our own terms. We also are capable of being successful in our own terms. And there's no shame in how difficult we get to be successful. But the point is, we can be successful. Yeah, I, I think it's just a reminder for trans women all over the world to not hold themselves back. We're already held back by society. So do not let yourselves be held back by yourselves, okay? Allow yourself to dream. If the world can't let you dream, dream for yourself okay dream because you can and i think it's it's coming from a point of privilege but i also want to emphasize that the community is there and has been there for the longest time we haven't been recognized in fact when was trans activism even coined it was coined what late 1990s early 2000s but we have been here for the longest time. We have been alive for the longest time. In the Philippines, we have already trans identities in the Philippines as early as before the Spanish colonization in 1521. So that's how old trans identities are all over the world. So it's time to take charge and, and, and enjoy and embrace the opportunity that we need to spark hope in a very hopeless community. Uh, because to be quite honest, in, in, in many areas in the Philippines, trans women are afraid. Trans women are concerned for their safety. And that's a valid concern. But this is not the only narrative that's there. There's also a narrative of other trans women in other localities in the Philippines that is so full of hope that is banding together as, as a support system uh, for, for, for the members of that community. And I think the key takeaway that we can talk about activism is that, as I've mentioned, support system. We need to emphasize that we cannot continue the fight if we cannot even look after each other. And support systems are a very great way to do that. You know, activists get burned out a lot. They get tired. They receive death threats. I receive death threats. And, and it's, it's scary. But knowing that there is a community out there supporting me, supporting the things that I believe in, 
and not just me as a person, but supporting who I am in general, representing the whole community I belong to, gives me hope and it gives me courage to continue fighting. And I think that is something that we are missing as ad activists. We always think, what am I doing this for? But we never ask the question, who am I with in this fight? That's support system. And I think we have to normalize asking the question. So who am I with in this fight? Who are fighting with me? Who are fighting alongside me? Who are there when I'm already too tired? We have to ask these important questions because we're not Wonder Woman. We get tired too. So yeah, more than wanting action <laughs> being done, we also need to look after one another. That's a value I learned as a trans woman in the Philippines with having a strong community with trans women. And that's also a lesson that I want to impart to every other trans women all over the world. So you were just saying how we, you know, how within trans women supporting each other, how can we, you know, either part of LGBTQIA plus members of the community, not in the Philippines, in the Philippines, people who are outside that community, how can we support you? Well, for those in the Philippines, whether you are part of the community or not part of the community, you are welcome to join Pantai. I think that's a very important thing to highlight that let yourselves be organized, be part of organizations. It, it really helps the cost a lot. But if you can't be part of the organization, because I think that's, that's the ultimate thing that you could do, be part of an organization, um, you could support us. Um, for Pantai, for example, we have a project. It's called Balur Kanlungan. Um, Balur is a gay lingo. It's, it's a gay lingo term for house. So it's a house or a shelter for care. Kanlungan is, is care, okay? Um, and that is a safe space for LGBTQIA plus people in the Philippines. So we have a project like that. And you can help us sustain the projects and activities for Balur Kanlungan um, by donating. And this is not only for people in the Philippines, but also people outside of the Philippines um, you could reach out to Pantai Pilipinas. Um, we are at facebook.com slash Pantai Pilipinas. And you can send us a message on how you could donate to us through our channels. Um, but more than financial, we would also love to see support in terms of joining our activities, um, being part of the conversation, because we have conversation activities as well, um, activities which aim to gather the thoughts and opinions of people. So it's also nice to hear from you and, and to learn about how you can help and what kind of help you are willing to offer. Because again, in activism, we do not quantify or qualify the gravity of the support. In activism, any support is support and it's something that we should appreciate. So whether it be joining the organization, helping us in terms of funding, helping us in terms of manpower, or simply attending our activities to be part of the conversation, all of these things are helpful in driving across the message and driving forward um, the agenda for equality in the Philippines. Great. Uh, just thank you so much, Amber. I really appreciate you sharing your knowledge and your perspectives and so much experience that you have on trans activism and LGBTQIA plus activism within the Philippines. And I've, I've actually just, I feel just by listening to you, you're so inspiring, really so inspiring what you, you. what you do. Just, yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for, for, for coming and, and, and sharing, you know, your stories and, and telling us, everything it's been it's just been amazing thank you so much amber absolutely thank you so much for having me and for this platform to to you know talk about this at least on an international level at least because you have an international audience and i think yeah we have to grab every opportunity to have this and thank you again for lending me your platform and this opportunity 
Absolutely. And if anybody wanted to follow your work online, how would they be able to do that? Oh, um, you can follow me on Twitter uh, and Instagram. My Instagram and Twitter are at Gianni. It's spelled as at G-E-E-Y-A-N-I-I. Um, so you can follow me there. Um, again, you can also follow Pantay Pilipinas on Facebook and Twitter. It's both facebook.com slash Pantay Pilipinas on Facebook and Twitter uh, at Pantay Pilipinas. So yeah, um, and you can engage us in conversations if you want to learn more about what we do and and uh, where are we now in terms as an organization fighting for various things. You could learn it there. Uh, and we will be very willing to and happy to, to share to you our experiences and how we can collaborate should you wish to collaborate with us. And that was... Queer Cuz, thank you again for joining us on this very special episode. I just want to thank Amber again for joining us and sharing those beautiful stories and telling us about all the activism that's happening in the Philippines. Um, I'd like to thank all of you for listening. Um, this has been Dee. And it has been Sarah. And goodbye for now. <laughs>